Hey everyone, so happy to have you back for this Vetfolio Voice episode. I had so much fun talking to Dr. Donna Radatic about canine chronic enteropathy, and I learned a lot in the process. I mean, how many times have you been in an exam room and asked about diet and appetite only to have the owner tell you, you know, he's eating such and such, he doesn't have a great appetite, but you know, he's always been picky. I mean, I'll be honest, in the past, that was hardly a blip on my radar, as long as the pet was eating, you know, not losing weight, otherwise normal. Well, Dr. Radatic had an amazing take on why these pets are so picky and how to get them eating again. I mean, I won't give too much away, but I'll tell you, you'll definitely want to stick around for this episode. A little about Dr. Radatic, and I will stop keeping you in suspense. Dr. Donna Radatic completed her DVM at Cornell's College of Veterinary Medicine. She began her career as an associate veterinarian in a 24-7 AHA practice, then built her own small animal practice in the Berkshires of Western Massachusetts. She obtained specialties in acupuncture, chiropractic, herbs, and dietary supplements. Dr. Radatic left the Berkshires to pursue advanced nutrition training and became a diplomate of the American College of Veterinary Nutrition in 2012. She continued in academia as a professor for the Nutrition and Integrative Medicine Services at the University of Tennessee College of Veterinary Medicine until 2015. She now publishes and lectures nationally and internationally on nutrition, supplements, and integrative medicine. A veterinary nutritionist, integrative practitioner, academic professor, she offers a unique perspective on the role of nutrition and integrative care for companion animals. I told you! It was a blast and I learned a lot. Let me turn it over to her. All right, Dr. Donna Radatic joining us today. Thank you so much for being with me. Thank you, Cassie. Thank you for having me. We are so excited to have you and we're talking today about chronic enteropathy. Um, so kind of to start out, is there a formal definition for canine chronic enteropathy? Yes, canine chronic enteropathy it takes all the GI signs, gastrointestinal signs, vomiting, diarrhea, poor appetite, and puts it together. And if that patient has those signs for, say, longer than three weeks, or if they have recurring bouts, okay, they have a bout of it, you treat them for a week or two, a couple of weeks later, it happens again, and you start to see a trend where, you know, every couple of months, they're coming in for some GI sign. That's kind of, that's what we're calling chronic enteropathy now. So when we see a dog and we're suspecting chronic enteropathy, what kind of diagnostic testing should we reach for? What we do is we classify chronic enteropathy as food responsive or antibiotic responsive or immunosuppressant responsive. So what'll happen is if you have a dog that has chronic enteropathy signs, often they've had some testing done, right? So people, you know, general practitioners, of course, are gonna run fecals. They have extended fecal panels. Um, they'll run maybe, uh, make sure it is primary the gut and it's not something like liver or kidney. You'd wanna run your routine CBC, serum biochemistry, electrolytes, urine analysis. Don't want to forget about Addison. So you might think about an ACTH stim. Um, they also, I know Antec recently has come out with some IBD testing, not quite sure what to do with that yet. Uh, but you want to also foreign body imaging. So it's almost like you want to rule out anything else, but this is like a gut problem in this patient. 
And then more specific testing, Texas A&M has a GI lab and they offer testing like B12 folate because some of these dogs will be deficient in that. Um, also PLIs, TLIs, looking at pancreatic function or possibly pancreatitis being involved. And then they've developed this dysbiosis index, which is kind of looking to see if the flora is abnormal. Not quite sure what to do with that test either right now. But then in the severe cases, the obvious is when we're, we're going ahead and we're scoping those dogs or maybe exploring them and we're getting biopsies and that's where we're getting the lymphocytic, plasmacytic, mild, moderate, suppurative, whatever. So that's kind of the whole works for this type of problem. Sure. And then you mentioned uh, in the beginning there, antibiotic responsive, food responsive, and immuno immunosuppressant responsive. So when you are running these tests, how does it all classify these dogs as one or the other? So that that's the problem, I think. <laughs> you know, we call them this, but the testing doesn't really, really tell you whether that dog is going to respond to food or respond to antibiotic or really needs immunosuppressant therapy. Typically, if the dogs are biopsied um, and they're severe cases, you're, you've already passed by probably food and antibiotic and they are going to need immunosuppressants. But it's really working through a case, a dog with chronic enteropathy that classifies them. Do they respond to the diet? Guess what? Diagnosis, food responsive chronic enteropathy. Do they respond to something like Tylosin? Okay, Tylosin, antibiotic responsive. So it's really working through that case that's going to help you. You know, when I read about this classification system, I honestly think it's a continuum. I almost think that these dogs, because they, they will classify the food ones as younger, that they're a young dog early, caught early, treated appropriately, stays food responsive, but if not, then progresses to more severe disease, maybe needing the Tylosin or even more severe disease. So I actually view it as a continuum that we have to work through. So really important to catch these guys as early as possible. Um, when we have a patient like this, how do we as GPs approach this patient? Well, you're right. Recognizing them the earlier, the better, because I think a lot of these dogs caught early and treated right up front, you're going to have your best success because that's where you can use your food and your supplement programs and not get into all the drugs, which clients love. But you really, it is multimodal. It isn't just diet. You have to support the gut. We have to support the, the micropopulation, that microbial population with a term microbiome, okay, or microbiota. It, it re really requires also good client communication and compliance. And that means a lot of talking and explaining, rechecks, and reaffirming what we're doing right. Uh, these dogs, I tell clients straight up, they aren't cured. This dog isn't going to go out and eat pepperoni pizzas and jalapeno poppers, okay? This is a dog we have to be very careful and think about everything that goes in their mouth, and they have to be managed. And again, my hope is always food and supplement and and doing that appropriately and following up on them with rechecks. Um, telemedicine rechecks now are excellent for this because I don't want those dogs to progress, progress where we're into more drugs or biopsies and things like that. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, continuing kind of breaking it down into a, a practical approach to these patients. Can you tell us about a case that you've had and kind of talk us through how you managed it? 
Sure. I, I, one of my favorites, I had a, a young German Shepherd, a two-year-old male castrated German Shepherd, Bo, um, and the woman actually had the dog at Washington State's Veterinary School, and the dog was biopsied there. She had a home in Florida, so she was going to be driving back to Florida. So the biopsy came back, moderate, mild, lymphocytic, plasmacytic, blah -de blah and they were suggesting diet, uh, started the dog on Metron, but she was traveling and she was worried about the PUPD and all those problems. So we got talking about it and interesting, this dog signs, for, dog has some, you maybe a little bit more, oh, like maybe three stools a day, maybe the third stool would be a little colitis -y or soft, but the major reason she had this dog worked up is this dog would not eat. And this dog was a thin shepherd and she'd buy this food and he'd nibble for a while, that's it. Then she'd buy this one and this one. And the dog was just had a super poor appetite. That was one of the biggest components of this dog's disease. So we talked about how we were going to work with this dog going forward. So what we started to do is obviously first diet and I, we switched the dog to a hydrolyzed food. That's one of my favorites, Hydrolyzer Homemade. And it's a big dog, so the Hydrolyze was not easier for her than having to make a homemade diet. Um, and then once we got that dog transitioned, we went ahead and started building a supplement program. And what I did is have her trend stools, how many times he went, what they looked like with a fecal scoring chart, and also his appetite. Did he want to eat? Because that was the big key. Would he continue eating? And any time we made a change, we'd do one change at a time. We Next thing we would do after we transitioned is we started the dog on a probiotic supplement. So we built this whole program, and I have seven years of every stool. <laughs> and his appetite on Excel spreadsheets. So he's one of my, he's, and he's done really, really well. We never had to use prednisone on this dog. Wow. And his primary symptom, you said, is just, he just wouldn't eat. Picky. We all do this. Oh, he's just picky, especially sure. the little ones, right? The little white dogs. <laughs> Absolutely. I was like, yeah, like I'm feeling kind of bad that have there been dogs where I've just said, ah, oh, they're just being picky. Um, and, you know, they did have something going on. You know, there's other weird signs too, like dogs who, you know, have pica. If you've got like a six, seven-year-old dog and it's eating dirt or stones or, you know, gobbles things up and even foreign bodies. I mean, why is a six or seven-year-old dog eating sticks or getting foreign bodies? We've gotten, we were started actually taking those dogs that they went to surgery and biopsying them at the same time. They're trying to put out this discomfort. It's like, give me the Pepto, give me the Toms, give me something, you know? And so some of these foreign body dogs uh, we found actually had inflammatory bowel changes. We have a lot of lip smacking. We have a lot of burpees. We have a lot of eat one day, not the next day. The, the bilious vomiting in the morning, the stretching, um, all sorts of signs. They're just trying to tell us, you know, you, you would say to me, I feel like heck, right? But sure. they are trying to tell us by not eating. It's like, oh, mom, you put that down. I'm starving. Okay, I'm going to eat it. Oh, gosh, I feel bad. That's where that picky comes in. Oh, these poor creatures. So part of what you mentioned when you were building your supplement program for Bo was probiotics. Can you talk a little bit more about probiotics, kind of what they are, why we're using them, um, things like that? 
Sure. So they actually now have a formal, um, the World Health Organization has a formal definition that they are defined as microorganisms in large numbers that actually benefit the host. That's the official, you know, the official definition for them. And what, what we think is happening in our CE dogs is that their flora, there's an on, uh, the balance in the flora is not normal. It's what we call dysbiosis. So they're supposed to have so many of this family of bugs, so many of this family, so many of this family, but instead they've got, oh, it's out of, the balance is out of whack. We might have some bad players in there. So what probiotics are, are the healthy, good players. And what we wanna do is get a lot of different types in and large numbers into the gut. And what they'll do is hopefully they're going to encourage the, the healthy population of microflora to grow and thrive. They may kind of push against some of those bad actors to help with the dysbiosis. But one of the biggest thing that happens in the gut is communication between the, the probiotics and the bacterial flora and the gut cells, the immune cells and the enterocytes, and these bugs talk. I tell clients this, they, they have this chat going on and when they're chatting and everybody's having a good time, the gut works and it's functioning well and everybody's, it's digesting and processing. But if that chatting is being disturbed by bad actors or somebody shouting out, then we have immune reactions and we have a lot of inflammation. So in your patients, Donna, do you think these probiotics are really helping the, these chronic enteropathy dogs? And, you know, how do you use them? How long do you treat with them? And how do you select an effective supplement for your patient? So I, I use probiotics and I really do think they're a big part of, of getting these dogs healthy and getting that, that gastrointestinal function, um, the immune cells to be more appropriate. So, and there's studies now that support it. There's been some, some studies in IBD dogs where they've compared probiotic to antibiotic treatment and corticosteroids and have seen benefits. So I think they're a must do. The what it you know right now for supplements, pet supplements, it is a kind of a buyer beware market because unlike human supplements where they are defined and regulated by FDA, pet supplements are a gray zone. They don't really have FDA oversight and definition. So I keep telling veterinarians this because then they can start prescribing and using and understanding supplements because if they don't, you've just sent your client out there into that buyer beware market. It's really important for veterinarians to know supplements, know how to use them and prescribe them to their clients appropriately. You should know companies. I like to use companies that may actually sell human supplements because they're used to all the standards that the FDA requires for human supplements and that will overlay into the manufacturing and production of their pet supplements. There also is a group called the National Animal Supplement Council. And that group actually uh, will be a supplement companies that join and they have to follow the rules. Okay, the rules are you need quality control, we can test your products, you have to report adverse events, a whole set of rules. So I like companies who belong to, we call it NASCI, N-A-S-C. Um, it's to me, it's sort of like AFCO. AFCO is kind of the body that makes recommendations about nutrients and labeling for pet foods. I'd always recommend an AFCO diet. Well, 
Pets for Pet Supplements, NASCI is sort of that AFCO. They make sure that the players are doing it right. So that's very important to me. Also, I look at ingredients, just like I read ingredients on pet foods, I read ingredients and supplements. Do those ingredients make sense? Is there any research out there, something we know in dogs, cats, horses, rats, mice, people? Is it a, an ingredient that is logical, safe, and, and has some science behind it? For instance, in probiotics, I mean, there are, there are studies of different lactobacillus species, lactobacillus casei, uh, uh, effects of enterococcus. Uh, we also have studies in bifidobacteria. So when I see that, when I see those species in a probiotic, I know there's science behind it. Let me give you an example, Cassie. So um, I know everybody's familiar with Purina Fortiflora. Now Purina's a NASCI member, but Fortiflora, it's just one bug, okay, one strain, and there is only 100 million in a packet. Right now, what we understand about probiotics is you need a lot of different types, different strains, large numbers, and, lar and delivering it in large numbers, like billions, okay? So maybe Fortiflora helps some. A study show maybe a, a little bit with acute diarrheas here and there, but it, I've never been impressed. The literature is just massive that, you know, that's the way to go. So you want to look at other other types of probiotics. For instance, Nutramax has one, a Proviable. Now they have seven strains and they have about 5 billion per serving. That's good, but Nutramax isn't a NASCI member. Then Science, they actually have a Proline product, Enroflora. It has eight strains and 10 billion per serving. So, and they're a NASCI member. So, I go through the list. I want my NASCI member. I want lots of strains like, like the Vetra Science product. And I want big numbers. Give me that 10 billion per serving. So that's how I sort out my products that I'm going to use for these patients. Well, you have me sold on the probiotics for <laughs> sure. And I agree. I've also seen the benefits in my own patients. Um, as far as other supplements go, are there are there specific supplements that you find useful in these patients? Yes, I, I like to use also prebiotics. And prebiotics are those fibers that are going to support the microbial population in the gut. Uh, things like... Uh, you know, like we call it FOSS, like fructooglyosaccharides or mannanogliosaccharides. They got these big long names, but they're well established in the pet food industry to help with motility and support the gut flora. They also are fermented by the, the population. The bacteria ferment them into what we call short chain fatty acids, specifically butyrate, which guess what? The gut cells use for an energy source. So that's a good thing. And then going back to those examples, like Fortiflora is a straight up probiotic, one strain, 100 million, but the Vetroscience uh, Enroflora actually has FOS, has that fructooglyosaccharide. So it is actually a combination of probiotic and prebiotic, which we call symbiotic. So that's kind of, that way you kind of get a two for one on it. You're getting a lot of your strains, you're getting billions of bugs, and then you're getting fiber source as well. Good combination. Absolutely. So probiotics, prebiotics, any other supplements, ingredients we should be considering in these guys? 
I've probably considered all of them because I see a lot of these dogs and I, I just, I try so hard not to have them progress. I mean, I, I think to myself, if I can get this dog's program with food and the owner compliance and, and build a supplement and not see them move into antibiotics or heaven forbid biopsies and immunosuppressants, I, I've seen dogs, you know, where it's taken more than just prednisone. They've been on two, three immunosuppressants. So I'll reach for just about anything that I can, I can work on, but some of the, the ingredients I've found useful include glutamine. Glutamine is a non-essential amino acid, okay, but it has a very special role. The, the gut uses about 30% of the body's glutamine, and it is very important for those gut cells to have those tight junctions for healthy enterocyte turnover, helps with cell signaling, cell stress. It's, it's considered non-essentials, but it's interesting when in chronic disease states, it's considered conditionally essential. So when I have a CE dog, that chronic disease state, having glutamine on board in the supplement was excellent. There are also herbals or what we call botanicals that have been are well noted for their GI effects. They might be a source of fiber or have antioxidant or anti-inflammatory effects, things like psyllium, aloe, slippery elm, uh, licorice and ginger, they, they can actually have antioxidant uh, and maybe a little anti-inflammatory effects. So trying to see the, put those together, having them in supplements could be useful. Let me give you an example. You know, um, a lot of vets will prescribe or have the owners have available Enzorb. Well, that's kale pectate, okay? Not going to hurt anything, might help in the acute diarrhea, but we're talking about dogs with inflammation, dysbiosis, chronic disease. It just isn't going to cut it for that. So you want something with a bigger kick. So VetraScience, they have this EnteroHealth, and it actually contains a, a special blend. It builds on that fiber concept by adding things like beta-glucans, that moss, the mannoogliosaccharides. They also have an MSP protection, and it's a mucopolysaccharide that supports the mucin layer, kind of the film that's on, uh, kind of protects enterocytes. Also, it contains my slippery elm, and it's got my glutamine. So I can kind of get a lot in one supplement. So kind of get my symbiotic going and then add a product like this. And then we give it some time, same, better, worse, you know, trending on my Excel spreadsheet, right? How are my patients doing? That's how you build these programs. I love it. Just kind of one step at a time um, and adding things in as needed. Um, so we're starting with the diet and then we're supportively building this supplement program around them. Why aren't, I mean, I'm thinking of my own cases and, and going, I have different patients running through my head going, <laughs> I need to, I need to call those guys. Um, why aren't more GPs creating these supplement programs? It, it does. It, it's hard. It's we're busy, right? You're busy. Um, they fly by, you know, you see, oh my gosh, the last six months, they've been to the ER almost every month with colitis. This one's not eating. You know, when you see them, take a deep breath, get them back or set up a telemedicine and say, hey, you know, I think there's something more we need to talk about. And, and I, I think I, I, we need to stop here and start a program. 
and and build a program. So it's you know recognizing them, grabbing that patient, and saying you've got a problem. You cannot eat pepperoni pizza, okay? And we're not going to keep treating you with the veterinary GI diet one and veterinary GI diet two or the burger and rice and the chicken and rice and the Metron and, and Clavamox and this and that. In fact, you know, there's some suggestion now in the literature coming out that all the antibiotic stuff we're doing, you know, hit them with the antibiotics. Well, guess what that does to that microbiome? It just wipes it out and then it has to rebuild again. So I've, I've told you there's dysbiosis. So unbalanced, well, what about like nobody home when, when we're doing this? Are, are we part of the problem? And, and it's easy. It's a quick fix if they respond, right, Cassie? I mean, I've done it. Here's your ID. Here's your Metron. You know, dog's better. I don't have to think about you. But if that dog keeps coming back and coming back and you keep attacking it, we have to think about that antibiotic stewardship. So maybe a better approach is just got to sit them down and say, hey, it's time for diet and I've got some supplements we need to support and build that gut. And, and it does. It takes time, good communication with the clients. And I, I have like my rule book for chronic enteropathy. You know, tell them it's a food allergy. It's like if your dog gets a crumb, you know, the person who gets the peanut or a person who gets the bee sting and they don't have their EpiPen, the gut's all inflamed for five steps backwards, okay? Got to adhere to what goes in the mouth and think about. Then we build on our supplements. One, then the next patients, okay? We monitor them, same, better, worse. You know, I keep it simple. Use what signs they were, you know, having problems with and let them know this is management forever. I can't cure your dog, but I sure as heck can make sure that your dog doesn't progress and we're not hopefully going to end up with a dog on immunosuppressants and biopsies. Absolutely. I have loved this podcast. I feel like I've learned so much. Um, are there any final thoughts you'd like to share with us? No, I, I, I was in practice a long time and I feel like I, I have to get this stuff out there now because it's, I was busy too. And, and I, I think back, like you're thinking back of, you know, the dogs that I, I kind of feel like I duct taped them, you know, and, and that makes me feel bad. And when I was um, when I was on faculty at the University of Tennessee, and and we'd get these dogs in who were really really severe and needed biopsies, you know, I had some of them. We put them on three immunosuppressants. I mean, we were doing injectable um, vitamins for them. They were skin and bones. I had we lost dogs, so it, it's almost like you get slapped. You know, when you get slapped like that and realize how severe this disease can be, it makes you stop when you see that dog coming down the pipeline to say, hey, I know you're only a year old. I know you're only a year and a half, but you've been in here way too many times. I've got some, I've got a plan for you. I've got management and we got to do this sooner than later. Absolutely. I think that's great advice. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me, Cassie. It's lots of fun. I look forward to talking to you again. Me too. Me too. <laughs> Thank you so much, Dr. Ratatik, for joining us, and thank you to VetraScience for sponsoring this episode. I really hope you, our listeners, enjoyed that as much as I did. To learn more about VetraScience products, you can go to their website at www.vetraproline.com. That's www.vetriproline.com. 
If you'd like to find more episodes like this, click on the Education tab on Vetfolio's webpage. As always, we'd love to hear your input on this session as well as ideas for topics you'd like to hear from us in the future. Feel free to reach out to me at dvm at vetfolio.com. You can also visit my Facebook page at Dr. Cassie DVM, and you can find me on LinkedIn. And remember, if one animal is better off because of you today, it's a great day.